WRFI Community Radio News is made possible by listeners like you. Help us tell important stories about your community. Head to wrfi.org slash donate. From the Kenny Ritter Studios in the historic Clinton House in downtown Ithaca, New York, this is WRFI Community Radio News for Tuesday, December 1st, 2020. I'm Peter Champelli. And I'm Maureen Gilroy. After the headline news, we'll speak with public news service reporter Laura Rosbrow-Tellum, who just co-produced a story for WNYC's show Radio Lab about the process of developing COVID-19 vaccines. Ross Brautellum is also a former WRFI news director. But first, here's the weather forecast, courtesy of the National Weather Service. Tonight, snow is likely, with lows in the lower 30s. Tomorrow, possible rain and snow, and highs will be in the upper 30s. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy, with a chance of rain, with lows around 30. Looking to Thursday, it will be mostly sunny, with highs in the upper 40s. And now, here's tonight's news for Ithaca and Watkins Glen. In local news, at November's public forums focused on reimagining public safety in Tompkins County, local residents criticized the way feedback for police reform is being solicited from the community. According to the Ithaca Voice, Tompkins County and the City of Ithaca have requested feedback through an online form at computer stations at the Tompkins County Library, by phone, by mail, and through a series of public forums. Some residents have criticized the way individual suggestions are not being made public and that the public forums only allow two minutes per person for input. Others emphasize the need to have discussion about what causes crime in order to address those issues. Some also urge that low-income neighborhoods be surveyed to increase feedback from marginalized communities. Most of those who provided input at the November forums want municipal funds currently allocated to the police to be focused on community-based programs. The county and city will continue to receive feedback through the end of December. The next forum will be via Zoom this Friday, December 4th, from 4.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. More information, including how to register, is available at TompkinsCountyNY.gov. That website again is TompkinsCountyNY.gov. The 100 block of College Avenue in Ithaca will close due to construction from tomorrow at 7 a.m. until Thursday at 3.30 p.m. The construction will be taking place from College Avenue's intersection with Mitchell Street to its intersection with Boole Street. The block will be completely closed to three-way traffic, save for emergency access. The construction is to install a new water service. The location, again, is the 100 block of College Avenue. The not-for-profit State Theater wants to bridge a $160,000 gap in their budget with donations in exchange for a plaque on one of their theater seats. According to Spectrum News, the theater had to cancel 50 scheduled live events since it closed earlier this year due to the pandemic. The so-called Saving Your Seat campaign gives donors a personalized plaque on one of the theater's 1,600 seats for each $100 donation. According to State Theater Executive Director Doug Levine, people who have donated so far have been creative about the messages for their seat plaque, including commemorating a first date at the theater and losing their hearing during a Dinosaur Jr. concert. 
More information about saving your seat is available at stateofithaca.org. The Tompkins County Health Department reported two potential COVID-19 exposures, one at the alehouse and one on a TCAP bus route. On Wednesday, November 25th, there was a potential exposure on the TCAP bus route 32 going outbound from Green Street at 6 p.m. Then on Friday the 27th, the public was possibly exposed to COVID-19 between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. at the Ithaca Alehouse. Anyone who visited either location during those times should seek COVID-19 testing. People, people can get tested at two sampling sites in Tompkins County run by Cayuga Health Systems. One site is at the shops at Ithaca Mall at the intersection of Route 13 and Triphammer Road, which is open from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. The other is located in downtown Ithaca at 12 North Tioga Street. This new location is open from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. Both sites require appointments. Those can be scheduled by calling 607-319-5708. Again, that's 607-319-5708 between 8.30 a.m. and 4 p.m or by going online at cayugahealthsystems.org. The Schuyler County Health Department advises residents needing testing to contact their health care provider or visit one of the two sampling sites in Tompkins County. And looking at the local COVID-19 caseload, the latest numbers released yesterday from the Tompkins County Health Department indicate that there are 29 additional positives and 15 new recoveries. According to the County Health Department, that's 193 active cases of COVID-19 in Tompkins. This is by far the most active cases Tompkins has had since the beginning of the pandemic. In Schuyler County, there are three new cases of COVID-19 reported as of today, leaving 31 active cases, according to their health department. In New York State news, Governor Andrew Cuomo announced strategies to fight COVID during the holiday season at a press conference yesterday morning. According to the Ithaca Voice, New York State anticipates more social activity from now through January 2nd, leading to more coronavirus cases. One strategy includes increasing hospital space by possibly banning elective surgeries and by having hospitals prepare to increase bed capacity by 50%. Other strategies include expanding access to testing, including keeping elementary schools open through increased testing, keeping gatherings to 10 people or fewer, and distributing a vaccine when it is available. And in national news, two more states declared Joe Biden a winner as the president-elect announces his new economic team. More on the latest U.S. election news, courtesy of our friends over at Pacifica Network and the Public News Service. Welcome to 2020 Talks, where we track the 2020 elections in uncharted territory. It's not just the people of Arizona taken advantage of and their right to vote taken away from them. It's the people of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, Georgia, and Arizona that we know of. While Arizona officially certified its 11 electoral votes to President-elect Joe Biden yesterday, Rudy Giuliani and President Donald Trump's other lawyers joined Arizona GOP leaders to continue, without evidence, their claims of election fraud. All their legal claims so far have been dismissed or discredited. Wisconsin also finalized Biden's victory after a recount paid for by President Trump in two heavily Democratic counties. Still, Trump says he'll file another lawsuit today challenging those results. Here's Georgia's Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger on their second recount. 
Once this recount is complete, everyone in Georgia will be able to have even more confidence in the results of our elections, despite the massive amounts of misinformation being spread by dishonest actors. On Twitter, Trump called on Georgia Governor Brian Kemp to use emergency powers to overrule Raffensperger's oversight. The governor's spokesperson was quick to point out that independent authority cannot be overridden by executive order. There are those who are exploiting the emotions of many Trump supporters with fantastic claims, half-truths, misinformation, and frankly, they are misleading the president as well. President-elect Joe Biden received his first official daily briefing yesterday. The government's intelligence information and analysis on short- and long-term threats facing the country. Biden officially introduces key members of his economic team today, a mix of Democrats and Republicans, including several women and former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen as Secretary of the Treasury. If confirmed, she will be the first woman Treasury Secretary. Republicans are already criticizing Biden's choice to direct the Office of Management and Budget. Neera Tandon is a veteran Clinton aide and runs Center for American Progress, a liberal think tank. Congress is back to work this week with several major items on its lame duck to-do list, including approving a budget to avert a partial government shutdown and another round of COVID relief funding. At the Supreme Court, justices heard arguments via telephone on Trump's unprecedented order to exclude undocumented immigrants from census data used to apportion congressional seats. Acting U.S. Solicitor General Jeffrey Wall told justices that the administration has not determined yet the exact number of people it would take out of the census results. By the time we actually run the matching and have more information, the secretary will be ready to send his report. This is all going to happen on an extremely compressed timeline in January. All six Republican-appointed justices questioned the feasibility of making a ruling before Trump actually issues apportionment numbers, though the Constitution requires that every whole person be counted. American Civil Liberties Union attorney Dale Ho argued that the president is breaking from the 230-year-old practice of apportionment based on people, not citizenship status. No court, no Congress, and no executive branch before now has ever thought that undocumented immigrants could be excluded from the whole number of persons in each state. From Pacifica Network and Public News Service, I'm Mary Sherman. Thanks for listening. And that concludes our headline news for tonight. Coming up, we'll speak with Public News Service reporter Laura Rosbrotellum, who just co-produced a story for WNYC's show Radio Lab about the process of developing COVID-19 vaccines. That's after the break on WRFI Community Radio News. Stay with us. That was Ursa Major by SUS, and this is WRFI Community Radio News. I'm Peter Champelli. We're joined now live by public news service reporter Laura Rossbrow-Tellum, who just co-produced a story for WNYC's show Radiolab about the development of a COVID-19 vaccine. Laura Rossbrow-Tellum is also a former WRFI news director. Laura, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome back to the WRFI Airwaves. Me. I was just telling Peter before we were on air that I think it's the first time that I'm like live on WRFI since uh, I left my news director position. So it's kind of emotional. And, uh, you know, that WRFI was always a warm home for me. So it feels nice being back. Well, thank you so much. We're, we're really excited to have you back on. Um, and I wanted to start off by um, just asking uh, in general, can you tell us about? Uh, what the story was that you produced um, for anybody that hasn't heard it um, and what you explored about this idea of um, basically like a human challenger to 
uh, virus uh, for anybody who hasn't heard the story yet? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, so I first stumbled upon the story actually through public news service. You know, I'm normally a reporter over there. And I did a story about this really interesting nonprofit called One Day Sooner that uh, is re- still recruiting people for what are called human challenge trials for a COVID-19 vaccine candidate. And what that means is that so, for example, people have now been hearing a lot about, you know, Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca and all these companies are in, they're now getting vaccines approved, which is great. And the final stage to getting a vaccine approved is what's called a phase three field trial. And so with this part of it, you have to enlist tens of thousands of people uh, to, you know, do this, which can traditionally take quite a while. And it's also very expensive. And so a way to potentially speed up that process, and this might still come into play for future vaccine candidates when it's harder to enroll so many people for a field trial, is what's called a human challenge trial. And so the idea behind that is with a typical phase three trial, you have to enroll so many people because you're actually waiting for let's say about 100, 150 people to get infected with corona. Like that's kind of the number you need to know if your uh, candidate's effective. But with the human challenge trial, what you do instead, and this is where (laughs) it gets pretty ethically murky, is that uh, let's say you have half the group gets a placebo, half the group um, gets a vaccine candidate. You enroll many fewer people, say around 100 or so, and but you then infect all of them with coronavirus. And so in this way, you then get data back. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of intense. So anyway, so I learned about that, that whole kind of movement back in the, in the spring. And so then I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And if, you know, one of these trials is happening, I would want to follow that. Like that would be fascinating. And, you know, with public news service, my, job is these really short news pieces. They're like, you know, a minute and a half kind of news pieces. And I really wanted to do something longer form with it. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try to reach out to Radiolab um, and see if they might want to do something like this, because it sounds like the kind of thing that Radiolab would want to cover. And lo and behold, they did. So that's kind of what happened with, with the episode. That is awesome. Wow. Thank you. Um yeah, I mean, one thing that I, I thought was super interesting, too, was um, you mentioned in the story that it also started as a bit of a, a fiction idea. Um, can you talk a little oh, bit? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would love to know more about <laughs> that and, like, how, yeah, I just thought that was uh, super interesting. Uh, yeah, well, that's also, like, the beauty of Radiolab is, like, they get you to talk for, like, three hours, you know, and it's, like, very, you know, they're just really, they're really good at getting that kind of stuff out of you. But yeah, no, so it's true that, you know, even before I did this whole public news service piece, the reason I even was thinking about human challenge trials to begin with was that I was having this sort of like kind of weird fiction idea. Because I don't know, this was back in March or April and, you know, just the whole COVID situation was really depressing me. And I was just trying to think about, I don't know, other things. Uh, creatively uh, a little bit beyond journalism. And 
I sort of was having this like idea for a series that was like sort of like Black Mirror, maybe, because I saw that Black Mirror was like not going to air anytime soon. So I was like, well, maybe I can do sort of like a weird audio version of Black Mirror or something, but like around COVID and like different sort of near future scenarios with COVID that could be kind of interesting. And so anyway, so then I was thinking, well, I actually don't want to give away this part too much. So you can listen to the episode because it's there. Um, but anyway, I had sort of an interesting fiction idea that then led me to uh, actually then learning about human challenge trials. Wow, that's such a um, uh, such an interesting way to find a story. Is thinking first, like, what would make an interesting fiction story and then realizing that our world is crazy enough that <laughs> it exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and actually, you know what, I'll tell you the even the longer story beyond that that wasn't included in Radiolab was that I had actually this whole other idea for a podcast that never took off. Uh, so it's just supposed to show you the creative process. It's like, okay, I had this nice radio episode. I'm very happy about it. Um, but with many creative endeavors, there's many things that fail, <laughs> you know, along the way before you get to, you know, these sorts of success moments. So anyway, so I had this idea for a podcast called The New Normal, where, like, each episode would look into some phenomenon. It didn't, like, exist in the recent past, but it's now, like, everywhere. And kind of thinking about why is it everywhere and why is it normal and, like, what are the things in the near future that we're not really thinking about. Long story short, that podcast never happened, but that sort of like idea about the new normal and thinking of things that are new and are unintended consequences, that's been sort of like an overarching way for me to actually think about reporting. So I've kind of like taken that with me. And so that was actually kind of with that thing in mind, kind of led me actually to the whole human challenge trial stuff and this fiction idea, which you can hear about more in the episode. So uh, anyway. I feel like I'm rambling. I hope the listeners aren't getting too bored. No, I mean I think I think this is really interesting. I uh, I, I wish that both these podcasts exist: the new normal and um, <laughs> the Black Mirror audio. <laughs> um, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, the tricky thing with any podcast idea is it's like a matter of you know uh, time, funding, et cetera, et cetera. And I was never bold enough to start anything that unless I got like you know kind of serious commitment. Uh, behind it so anyway but gotcha gotcha yeah yeah well one thing that um was interesting to me about i think it was uh what you mentioned at the beginning of this interview was um the kind of murky ethics uh and ethical questions that come up with uh developing a vaccine for a virus that is uh so new that nobody knows how to treat it um i mean i think the the term that kept coming up in the episode was uh, like rescue, like there's, you know, if, if someone mm. was really mm -hmm. reacting poorly to the virus, there would be essentially no way to save them, um, you know, because they're there to develop the vaccine. Can you talk more about that kind of question of ethics um, yeah. and your takeaways from, I guess, like reporting on this story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, specifically, the big question for um, the WHO, the World Health Organization, when they were considering whether or not it was ethical to have human challenge trials, was whether or not they were ethical without what's called a rescue therapy, right, uh, rescue treatment. And actually, 
<laughs> this is what happens when you edit an episode, right? And all these kinds of things. And so, for example, now there's remdesivir, okay? So there is, there is a rescue treatment. It's not necessarily a treatment that um, is effective for everyone and in sort of limited cases. Um, but that does exist, and that has proven to be, you know, pretty helpful, and that has been approved. So I would say, you know, while it's true that there is no universal rescue treatment uh, for corona, like, for example, that part of the episode still kind of holds. But I did, but for example, that conversation I did in August, right? And so many things happened uh, since when, like, I originally kind of taped to this main part of the conversation as an episode. So anyway, this is sort of an asterisk about the rescue treatment. But things have gotten a little bit better. Um, but still, I, I do think the central question is, yeah, if human challenge trials are ethical, if there isn't, you know, a universal treatment uh, for the people involved. And the panel was split about this. Half of them thought that, uh, you know, it was ethical because it just would provide so much societal good to potentially get to a vaccine faster. Uh, and half didn't think it was ethical. So I think, I guess what I want to add on to this is that I think since there's actually more, you know, since there is Rindisivir and there's also a couple of other treatments coming, I think that part of it actually makes it more ethical now to do a human challenge trial because there is now more known about how to treat COVID. Gotcha. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting too, to, um, I mean, you're, you're, uh, making me kind of think about it's, it, the re reporting on COVID-19 is, is so bizarre just from how much changes every day and, and how much has happened in the last few months. Um, so I can imagine that working on a long form story like that, um, yeah, there must've been those challenges. Were there any other challenges or, um, I guess surprising moments, um, things that stuck with you? Uh, throughout the reporting process on that story? Uh, well, there was so much, but I know you only have like two minutes left. Yeah, I think the main challenge was just the fact that the news was just developing so quickly. So, you know, parts of the episode definitely, frankly, got scrapped. I mean, the episode ended up being, I think, a little bit less than 30 minutes. And I think if, like, the news hadn't progressed so quickly, probably the episode would have been like, I don't know, 35 minutes? or so maybe 40 uh so yeah so that was that was definitely an interesting challenge i think that was the biggest challenge okay gotcha um and yeah. lastly i wanted to talk a little bit about um your uh career path in general um as uh we mentioned in the intro uh you're the former uh, news director for wrfi can you talk about um i guess uh you know what what um what you've been up to since you uh, <laughs> since you worked at the station and, and, um, just, yeah, generally your path to, uh, what you're doing right now. Well, I guess as an, if, you know, you're listening to WRFI frequently, you may hear me sometimes from public news service. So that's where I am now. I'm a reporter there and now I'm also co-hosting 2020 talks, which we'll see. Maybe they'll turn into a politics newscast next year. We're sort of still deciding. And I also freelance for places like foreign policy, Wondery, um, sort of doing a whole bunch of stuff. So that's, that's where I am now. And WRFI was an amazing place to launch my radio career, and I'm forever grateful. Well, we are so uh, lucky to have you on tonight, and thank you so much. Um, unfortunately, that's all the time we have, uh, but thank you again for joining our program today.
Thank you. That was Public News Service reporter Laura Rasprow Tellum joining us for a live interview here on WRFI Community Radio News. And that will do it for our program today. Our website is wrfi.org, where you can take another listen to the original news features by the WRFI news team. And to get the latest news on the local, regional, and state stories about COVID-19, visit wrfi.org forward slash coronavirus. The headlines at the top of our program were written by WRFI contributors Pamela Tan and Fred Balfour, and I edited today's news items. Today's feature was a live interview with public news service reporter Laura Rosbrow Tellum, and Maureen Gilroy is my co-anchor today. I'm Peter Champelli. Michaela Savis is our WRFI news director and executive producer for our program. If you have a question, tip, or comment for the news team, you can reach our team of reporters at news at ithacaradio.org, and you can call or text us at 607-441-9734. We'll be back tomorrow night and every weekday evening at 6 to bring you more of the stories impacting our communities. And on behalf of the entire WRFI news team, take care, be well, and have a good evening. One, two, three. W R F I.